Welcome to Gigami. I'm Dave Holly. I've toiled in the trenches of the music industry, man and boy, for more than 30 years. Each week I talk to an artist or exec about their experience of how the industry really works and what you can do to give yourself the best chance of breaking into it, build a good life and make a good living while creating the fantastic music you were put on earth to create. If you have any questions or just want to get in touch with me, go to gigami.co. That is G-I-G-O-M-I dot C-O. I'll always reply. Until then, on with the show. Today's episode is about the live side of the business. My guest is Paul Franklin. Paul is one of the leading live agents in the world. He started his career at Primary Talent, moved to Helter Skelter, where he represented Amy Winehouse and helped develop her career. For the last decade or so, he's been at CAA. He's acted on behalf of so many huge names, including James Bay, McFly, Busted, Kareen Bailey-Ray, Laura Mavulu and Youngblood. Welcome to today's episode of the podcast. Uh, today's guest is Paul Franklin. Good morning, Paul. How are you? Um, very well, thank you. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Could I ask you to tell us a little bit about how you got into the music industry and how you've ended up doing what you do now? Yeah, well, I was um, like a lot of people. I was in a band, was the singer in the band. And um, we did a few shows here and there and we're just obviously trying to ply our trade. But I realised, I think I had a gut feeling at that point, we just weren't good enough. But those um, those concerns were very much confirmed when I I joined a company called World Service. It was an agency that actually turned into primary talent. I was desperate to find a role in some music company, whatever it may be, with the viewpoint that I've always had, actually, that if you actually have the keys to the door, once you're in that office, you can explore any opportunities that are within that office. And you have to make yourself known and ask lots of questions and work very hard and hopefully you will find a career within but I actually joined as an account accountant's assistant funnily enough knew the trade a little bit blagged my way in as a lot of people do in music found my place within the office and found myself sort of doing accounts for the Cure and Depeche Mode before I knew it which um, luckily were two of my favorite bands at that time this was an agency by the way so I didn't explain that this is a live agency and at that time it was an open plan office and they'd be playing demos, you know, pretty much throughout the day. So whilst I was listening to that, I realised I would honestly say that probably 90% of the demos, if not more, were a lot better than the band I was in. Why did you choose live? Were you, were you aiming for live or were you just aiming to get into the industry in some way? The, the master plan was that I was in a band. I could find out, basically, I can find out everything about the live industry if push comes to shove, I could book my own shows. I knew a bit about accountancy, so I could do my own I could do my own accounts. And I'd gradually learn every facet of the industry so I'd um I could look after myself. That was the uh, that was the odd thought process that um live was something I'd always been really interested in. I went to lots of shows. Um and it was a great opportunity that I was given and I basically wanted to eat it up and use it in whichever way I could, but mainly just to learn as much as possible from the industry. I had to bide my time, really, and just work very hard within the accountancy side of things for a couple of years, but also asking lots of questions on a daily basis, going to lots of shows with the other agents, and literally put myself out there. And quite obviously, they knew I wanted to become an agent. I told them that from day one, to be honest. Um, And then eventually, a position... Uh, became available and um, I told them that 
I wanted that position and I really wanted that position um, in no uncertain terms. And I think I even said to the point, if I don't get it, I'm going to have to move elsewhere because, you know, I don't want to be an accountant for the rest of my life. Um, with total respect to all accountants out there, of course, fabulous job. But it just wasn't for me. This was this was a very much a first step. And, you know, and I think you can, there are similarities to bands and we can get onto that later or anyone within the industry. No one's going to give you the perfect job from day one. You have to find your way. You have to work incredibly hard. It's a lot of networking. It's a lot of asking questions. And, you know, you, you, you've got to grind it out. And um, it basically comes with a lot of drive and determination on, I think, all facets of the industry. Could we talk a little bit about how the, the live industry works? What does an agent do? Well, first and foremost, the agent needs to find promoters that are passionate about the music and energised about the artist, and with a clear plan of how to build their live career alongside the agent. The promoter is the person who promotes the show and takes the financial risk, and they are a really important part of the live team. This could be either a national promoter who promotes all shows across the country, for example, a Live Nation, SJM or AEG, or direct with regional promoters who cover certain cities, or alternatively direct with the venue itself uh, in some cases. So. They have to create awareness and visibility for the show in question to sell as many tickets as possible. So a promoter is responsible for various roles, which include the ticketing, renting the venue, and all relevant costs associated with the show, which can include staff, marketing and advertising, security, catering. Plus, you have PA, lighting and staging in-house at the majority of venues in the earlier stages. <clears throat> you need to bring it in in some cases also, some shows that don't have a load of events. So they could be small shows, but they just don't actually host a lot of shows. Um, small venues, sorry. Um, as you progress to larger headline shows, and especially moving up to the arena level and beyond, you will have to supply the production as most venues are an empty space. So there's no in-house production in those. And the artists will bring this together with the stage set up in a level and beyond. The production would be what lighting and 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 staging and and the whole shebang. Yeah, I mean, when you get to you know, say, an arena level, for argument's sake, you obviously want to bring in your own stage set with the relevant gimmicks, and it could be a thrust at the front of the stage through to a B stage in the middle of the venue, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So all those elements come under your remit because the the, the, the arenas themselves are just an empty space. Um, so yeah, so every aspect of the cost is worked through with the agent. Um, this is to minimize those wherever possible. And the agent will liaison all elements of the preparation for on sale. So that includes the ticketing and the marketing through to which artwork is used, which is really important. That's an integral part of the promotion. I mean, that's something I spend a lot of time on as it's so crucial that you make an impact on the ticket buyer and you make sure that you obviously the messaging is very clear. That's the first time they're going to see any notification of the show. So you want to make sure that that element of the promotion really counts. Or that you're obviously the messaging is very clear. And, and that's the artwork used in ads, is it? Yeah, using ads. You put them on the socials and they're posted everywhere. And, you know, we liaise strongly with the artists and management who are on that. And it's, you know, it's always good to have a striking, striking advert, which, as I say, is just really integral. Um, to the promotion. Just for the young musicians out there, I mean, in the early days, 
the shows are usually very tight on monies. So, I mean, once you paid for the van and the small crew and backline, etc., any extra money is always gratefully received. So merchandising can be a valuable income to help balance the books. And sometimes that can be the difference between making any money on the first few tours. The merchandising is split with the venue, with the larger percentage earned by the artist. So a good revenue source from the start and also continues to be as they progress with their life career. I mean, deal structures can be complicated and varied, um, but I can give you a a simplified example of a small show. Let's say you have a 500 capacity show and the ticket price is £10. So that gives you a gross amount of £5,000. So from that, you need to deduct the VAT and then all the costs, which include your PA lights, marketing, etc. And it's worth noting that in the course of time, these costs can increase or decrease. For example, advertising could reduce due to selling out in one day, which is obviously always nice. So the full budgeted amount won't be required and that saving gets added to the bottom line. So basically, after every cost has been deducted, you have a final figure left, which is called the net door receipts. And this is the figure you start negotiating with the promoter to secure the best deal. The percentage is then added to this deal. So if everything sells out and costs are reduced and there is extra revenue to share, this is negotiated with an agreed split with the promoter. Lastly, another way to increase revenue is through VIP packages, which are an upgrade to the standard ticket price. And these could include a sound check party, a meet and greet, a photo opportunity, signed merchandise or a program. So that is try and be a very simplified way of explaining where um, some revenue can come through for the artists. It covers a few points and hopefully gives you a small insight into how this works. When a drink's sold, for example, in, in a venue, who, who gets the money from that? The food and beverage remains with the venue in the majority of cases, yeah. How, how do you see your role as an agent? What, what, what are the key responsibilities? We're there to maximise opportunities, but not only in the live space, but also all elements pertaining to this. So apart from the live revenue, you know, we're we're looking at everything from sync deals, we have our own sync department, there's podcasts, there's endorsements and sponsorships, there's the, the virtual space has now become uh, prevalent over the, the pandemic. So that's been a new uh, addition. It was there to a point, but without any opportunity to play live ticketed shows, the online space has been explored a lot further. So we've been getting involved with various artists to play virtual shows, which uh, has been you know, very successful in cases, not so successful in others. I think people do get to a point where they don't want to look at their screen 24 hours a day including live shows but if you create an event uh, and people are stuck in inside then seeing you know your favorite artists playing an hour's live show that you can't get out and actually see yourself um, it's worked it's worked quite well. Do you think those kind of virtual events will have a future once people can actually get back out and see artists in the flesh? I think I think they will um, obviously when you can actually you know, go to the festivals yourself, it takes away a little bit of the value. But there's a lot of artists that can't actually you know, see their fans around the world, don't have either the time or, or sometimes the inclination. So I think what, what you may see is um, X amount of geo-lock shows 
So, you know, China's been very strong for that. So basically, geo-locked is so it's purely for China. Only China can see the show. Um, and I think what you could have down the line is, you know, you play UK, Europe, but you can't get around the world. There might be a geo-locked show in Asia that you put together or other territories. And the other way of using it, you can use it as a, as a way to promote your album, your single, you know, a 30-minute show of X amount of tracks from the new album, some of the old album. Uh, is a great vehicle for promotion and it saves sometimes trying to get everybody into the London showcase or whatever it may be, but it means that everyone worldwide can see a 30-minute performance of that particular artist around the album um, release time, which actually can work very well. We did one recently with an artist, Laura Mvula, and it was a 30-minute show, but it was it was fantastic, very effective and literally we had calls from around the world saying how much they loved it. And then it leads to more live bookings, et cetera, et cetera. But it's just for visibility and awareness. It was the perfect vehicle for the promotion of the album. Are people putting on a show which would be very similar to their, their live show? Because it's almost like a television programme, isn't it? There's other things that you might be able to do. Are people tending to use it just as a live show or, or adding other elements in? I think people have, people have looked at it very differently. Some the ones I felt that have been the most successful are the ones where you found an interesting, stroke, exciting location and or created a almost like an entertainment show rather than just a straightforward. This is a gig that you've seen many times before and you'll see many times again. I mean, I did one with James Bay at Shakespeare's Globe, which was incredible. I mean, it was, it was like an hour film. It was shot beautifully, um, iconic location. And it worked incredibly well. And it was a, it was it was something that we can use as a promotion vehicle for the next few years. We had an artist at CAA, Dermot Kennedy, who played the Natural History Museum, and again shot incredibly well. The numbers were very strong because people, I think, as much as like seeing him, is if you can capture the wonders of the Natural History Museum. It basically is so much better than just seeing you at a straightforward venue that you see every day of the week. And I mean, I'm Dua Lipa as well, put on an hour incredible show, which was all singing, all dancing and loads of special guests. And and again, was was in, incredibly impressive. Just back to your relationship with artists, what, what, what's the kind of contractual relationship? Well, for my own personal case, my, my role is very very strong with each artist I represent. When we meet artists from day one, the main thing is it's a two-way street, really. From our side, it's, it's all about working hard for number one. But not only that, you've, you've got to fill the band. You've got to be totally and 100% engaged of realising that this band, you want this band to be the biggest band in the world and you've got all artists or whatever it may be. And you've got to convey that, that you are literally going to work for this artist and creatively build them and they need to know that you're engaged within that and but you need to know that they are as well you need to know that as a new band they're also going to work hard because it's a two-way street this isn't an easy an easy job there's a lot of acts out there but from our side we lay out a plan of what we what we feel is the best way forward for the artist and it could be a you know two-year three-year plan whatever it may be and what we'd outline is what we see is the initial steps of the first headline shows, support shows, festival shows, and where we see the trajectory and where we see them in a year's time, two years time, uh, whatever it may be, and how we feel we can develop them not only as a live artist, but in all the other areas that we discussed before. And it's 
I think it's the creative and strategic approach that the artist will, you know, will finally decide who they're going to, which agent they're going to have representing them. But passion, enthusiasm is is a massive part of it as well. I'd say probably 90% of the artists I've represented, I've taken on after probably hearing one or two songs or seeing one show. I just go on a pure gut reaction if I feel something is special and then I'll do everything within my power um, to represent them. How do you how do you mesh with the the other people in the um, the, the artist team? So I'm guess manager and record company publisher are, are, are they involved in this planning process? Very much so. I mean the management, yes, very much so. On a you know sometimes every single day uh, we're in discussions, especially around the time when there's a release or a tour, etc. And the label, absolutely, there is you know there's reg- regular label meetings. Um, when you're launching a tour you want to launch a tour preferably on an impact moment and what I mean by that it could be around a release it could be around a tv appearance anything that we feel is a moment where we're gonna we're gonna capture as many people as possible wanting to buy tickets but yeah so we have we have label meetings and it's very much a team effort less so with publishing companies more so with with record labels but the core the core of the discussions are between the agent and the management and also the artists will be as involved as they want to be and you know if they want to speak to us no problem and we'll meet up and as much as anybody wants to but usually the artists just feed through the management who feeds through to us if someone close to you uh, was starting out as performance what, what what advice would you give them about building a live career I think, I mean, there's a few a few parts to it, really. I mean, sometimes we get we get some um, demos sent through, and it's it's happening less now, but it did over the years where you'd be sent something and you'd say, "Look, I I don't think this is ready," and they'll reply with, "Yeah, no, actually, well, it's sort of unfinished anyway. We don't really think it's ready either, so that's great. Thanks for the feedback." And I always I always go back and just say, "Look, in the nicest possible way, when you send anything to anybody, make sure." In your eyes, it's 100% finished and you're 100% confident that this is the best thing out there. You're proud to put this into the world of Spotify or whatever it may be, but don't send it when it's 50% finished. So that's number one. I think the biggest thing is patience, which a lot of people don't have. They just want to they want to say they're playing a gig. They want to say they're doing a gig. And that's all fine. But you don't get a lot from being you know, on stage seven at a festival at one o'clock in the afternoon and play in front of 10 people because I've seen it too many times. And there's many times I've spoken to artists and managers and just said, look, just wait. You've got time. This career is many, many years. If you go too soon just because you want to tell your mates you're playing Reading and Leeds or whatever it may be, you won't get anything from this. In fact, if anything, you'll be very deflated after it because you know, there's no one in the room. I remember one band, I've remained nameless, where we played the V Festival a few years ago, for those who remember it, and they were pushing and pushing, and I said, look, we shouldn't do it, it's too soon. No one knows who you are yet, just, just, just build. Anyway, they wanted to do it, played this tent, and I said, look, I'm being honest, I probably shouldn't have said it, but the only way this tent's going to be full is if it's pouring with rain. It absolutely poured with rain, and there were still like about five people in the tent. And I went backstage and we actually didn't actually say it. We sort of looked and it was as if they knew and I knew. And that was the end of that because I told them and I said, this is exactly what I said. I said, you're, you're feeling deflated. You shouldn't be because you're a very good band, but it's just too soon. And 
if you just have a little bit more patience and trust me on this, next year you'll be here and there'll be, you know, 1,500, 2,000 people in the tent. But as of today, you've got eight and three of those are pissed in the corner sleeping. So, but these are things that happen. Everybody is, there's a lot of people in artists' ears and it's usually, I mean, it could be friends and family. It could be whoever. And they, who are saying, oh, so-and-so's doing this. So why aren't you doing it? You know, obviously your agent's doing a bad job or your manager's doing a bad job. And it's, it's nice if you're playing festivals, don't get me wrong, but play them at the right time. Have an impact every time you play a show. If you do things too soon, it, it just doesn't move the dial forward. So it's all about strategy is a massive part of what we do. And if people listen to this and trust the people around them, they've got a much better chance of, um, of succeeding. Um, I've got an artist, I won't name him, but does quite well. And we have this thing about a ladder. And um, I've always, <laughs> always like, oh, sort of... Um, I said, it's just like a ladder. We'll get up the rung. I'll tell you where you are on the rungs as we go along. And he said, where, where are we? I said, I think you're on the first rung. And he's going, Jesus Christ, just the first rung. He said, how long is this ladder? I said, well, you never get to the end of it. There's no ending to it. It's just because every time you get close to it, you want to achieve something more. And it's, um, it's sort of the way I see it, really, is that we're here to try and facilitate as best we can building careers. And I'd feel a bit of a failure if basically you blow their careers by going too soon. And I mean, another example is that artists always want to play venues much bigger. If you sell out a show with 200 cap, you know, really then you should say, okay, well, maybe we'll go 300 cap, you know, it's early doors. But some are like, well, let's do a thousand. We sold 200 immediately. Let's go. And it's just that balance of just going, take your time. Let this breathe a little bit. And you'll know when there's a moment where we put it on sale and you'll do your 10,000 tickets or what have you. But just just take your time. So I think for new artists, it's just get it right. But the main thing is you've got to work hard. It's a full-time job. Some people do it as a part-time job, but you've got to be rehearsing six days a week. You've got to be writing all the time. You've got to be throwing lyrics down whenever you have a moment, good and bad. It's just a, it's a constant process. It's a full-time job rather than something you do on the side and it's um and you can see that drive in some people's eyes and maybe not in others but on a last point i do say to everyone i'm always make a point because i remember when i was young to this business and starting up and i remember people didn't treat you that well sometimes very dismissive so i've always made a point of always being respectful and i do always you know many times go back and say look this is just one person's opinion i'm just one person it doesn't mean anything you know i may be an agent may have a couple of acts but it still doesn't mean anything there's quite a few million people out there that might listen to your music so keep trying and keep sending it to other people because i'd hate for anyone to go i gotta know and that's it it's all over because it's, it's just my opinion whatever that is worth probably not a lot but it's just one person's opinion. I like that idea of a ladder. When you're sitting down with a, a manager and an artist to sort of work out a strategy for two or three years, are you setting yourself some targets within that to, to hit kind of venue size or, you know, moving internationally or, or whatever? Yeah, you do. You do set targets. But bear in mind, the, the targets also can usually only be reached if you have success with the music. And that's one thing you can't control where where the music's going to lead, how successful it continues to be or not. So the trajectory is very much you know, controlled by the, the success of the artist. And it takes time. I mean, one example, I mean, I represented Amy Winehouse from when she was 17 years old. And from 
her side. And that's another one where you know, as soon as you see, I went to see her in management office who said they've got this young young girl. She's great. Would you like to have a listen? She sang a couple of songs on the acoustic guitar and and it was amazing. Now, did I think there and then she'd be as big as she was? Probably not, no. But I did see something raw and exciting and she had a lovely sort of mix of confidence with a nice touch of arrogance but also a touch of fun as well she wanted to have fun with it and she sort of she knew she knew it was all right but she knew she could do better I'm sure it was just it was early doors but you could see in her eyes that she wanted to have fun with this and she had passion confidence and you you could see all of those all those elements and she hadn't done any shows at that point but it took five years of the frank campaign which is the first album to reach brixton academy level so that's five years if you think about it that's quite a long time but then talking about the trajectory and how it can change then obviously she came back with the second album which was which was quite incredible and when rehab and back to black entered the market we were in a completely different place so if it had been another frank album shall we say maybe it'd be taken another two or three years to reach a Wembley or whatever you know it just you just don't know how how long these things take but definitely if you've got something special musically it can change everything of course can you remember a little bit more of the detail of of the early days with amy what were the goals that you were trying to achieve over the first you know year or two perhaps it was purely to develop at a at a pace she was comfortable with so it was nothing nothing was rushed it's um wanted to get the music finished wanted to get her match fit in a live space work out the best format that she wanted to set up whether it was uh initially she she basically was you know guitar in her hand constantly and then that gradually taken away and she performed without it's different elements i mean it's not just something I there's many other acts it was but but for her it was similar to others it was let's just let's just take the process here and the other the other part of her was and it happens with some acts sometimes you can't see an obvious act that they should support and the one thing I would say is that support isn't the holy grail that everyone thinks it is. Everyone's about got to support this, that and the other. For some acts, it works very well, don't get me wrong. But for other acts, I sometimes feel that by playing your headline shows as much as possible from day dot and build a community is is the way forward. If there's no obvious act and you feel, would this work with this act? Or can I, if I just keep pushing headline shows we can build a community bit by bit in every territory. And a good example of that is this artist, Youngblood, who I went to see in a studio, I think four years ago, in um, Bush Studios in Shepherd's Bush. And I met, it was just me and another colleague from CAA, and we sat on this sofa, and, and just this, <laughs> this young guy came in with his bands and literally just... It was the most incredible half an hour of just almost being musically bullied. It was the noise. I think between every song, he'd say something like, well, yeah, that was a good song, but this song's even fucking better. This song is really fucking good. And it was just, it was just uh, the confidence, the hunger, the anger. I mean, it was just, everything was there. And, um, 
And it was great. And we, I mean, with regards to him, he was so incredibly impressive, but he so wanted it. And you could tell he had everything very new in, you know, new song. And, you know, it was very new in his career. And a lot of those songs are still being played, but he's, he's prolific at the moment. So some have been left behind, but he was a true rock and roll artist. And you don't find many of those. And I think we spoke for over an hour, hour and a half, maybe, I can't remember. And just, so I was just so excited by this artist and we actually went outside of the studio, he came out, we shook on it and that was it, it was done. But that's feeding off each other's energy. He could see in my eyes that I believed in it and he's probably, and the, the team he had around in management already did as well, but I don't think it was a small um, community of people that really believed. And I think artists can read it as agents can. He could see in my eyes, I really believed in this young man and hadn't seen a show he put he wasn't worth he was probably worth about 20 tickets at that point and that is a great example of someone who's been out and we've hardly supported anybody I'm trying to think who we have but it's just been a progression as I mean early days it was like let's build a community he wanted to build a community and by doing that it was just show after show we went everywhere and then not just the UK Europe and just built and built and he worked unbelievably hard and then the music took on a life of its own and you see where he is now and he's um he's just one incredible artist but you could see it from day dot that he was that special but artists feed off that as well if artists hearing it now that they want to feed as well off the label management agent whoever it may be they want to see that they're going to fight for them they really do because you've got to fight for your artists you can't ring up a promoter and say, oh, do you want this artist? And they go, no, I'm all right. And you just say, okay, fine. You've got to say, hold on a minute. This artist is this, this, this. Play some songs. But you've got to keep working it. You've got to keep hustling is the wrong word. But you've just... And if they feel your passion and enthusiasm and confidence, etc., they might say, okay, okay, all right, we'll find a slot on X. And away you go. And that's part of what we do as well. You've got to fight for your artists. It's very important. You mentioned that getting Amy match fit for live performance how do you go about that is that is that simply just getting her out on on the road and playing gig after gig or are you looking critically at it or is, is there any kind of performance coach involved how, how does that work some artists need more time than others some are naturally ready you know younger being an example um they're naturally ready almost from, from the off and some are just what i meant by that is they're just finding which lineup works best how they want to structure that how many in the band who's playing what within the band, et cetera, et cetera. It's like any act. Match for it. It's just, just getting to a point that when you have the media eyes on you, you want to be at a point where it's it's a good level. So it's when you're, I mean, match fit was just a phrase that when you've only done a handful of shows, two or three shows, it's just a case of just doing a few more and finding the artists, finding what they're most comfortable with, which songs they're most comfortable with and which setup on stage they're most comfortable with. Patience is the key. So spend a few weeks in a rehearsal studio, maybe go around the country under a different name if you want to. That's been done before. It's just whichever way, because sometimes if you know if you know the press are circling which is great uh very positive but you want to make sure that when you play that show and everybody's there you want to make sure you've had a few shows under your belt that's all the other interesting thing well you're saying many many interesting things i'm, I'm really enjoying this conversation is about the patience it's a word you've used over and over again and you you mentioned amy's trajectory was 
a five-year period. You, you, you met Youngblood four years ago. There is, there is an expression isn't that all, all overnight success is the years in the making. <laughs> and I think that sort of contrasts with people when they're, particularly when they're young, and particularly when with an artist, it's one career. Whereas, you know, if you're an agent, or in my case, a publisher, you work with many, 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 many careers. So you build up a sense of perspective that gives you the luxury of saying patience. <laughs> but how, how have art, artists reacted to that? Do some artists just, just not get it? Is, is, that, is that a problem? Is there any way you can kind of coach them to get that wider perspective that you, it doesn't all have to happen right now? It depends how you, um, what do you deem the word success? You know, some people deem it as I've sold 500 tickets and some people deem it I've sold 50,000 tickets. It's, um, so it doesn't mean to say that nothing's happening within this period. So the patience is, it, it doesn't mean you're not doing anything. It just means sometimes things take more time. I mean, I must say, you know, a few years ago, obviously there wasn't Spotify and there wasn't all these other ways for your music to be heard. It was more of a struggle years ago. So it does make it a little bit easier now uh, that the music is out there for everybody to hear from day one, which is which is good and bad. Some people don't probably have enough time to grow and they put music out there. But the other side is that it's so accessible, it makes it easier for your songs to be heard worldwide. It's just a process. Some some artists catch fire quicker than others. And all I meant by patience was just if it doesn't catch fire immediately, it's okay. It's uh, Don't be despondent. It's This is a process. And just because we haven't caught fire yet. It doesn't mean to say that it won't be next year or the year after. It's um, it's not a six month situation here, and it's you know it just everything takes time for your music to develop, grow, and um, sometimes you know sometimes you find other markets connect quicker than you know. It's not just all about the UK or the US. There's certain pockets of markets that you connect in, and you start building those markets accordingly. So you're having real success in some markets but less in your, you know, in your core market where you live. But you can't just write by numbers and just, okay, I'm going to write a hit today. There was one artist I won't name, but was having a struggle getting a song at Radio 1. So she actually said, well, I'm going to, I'm going to write a song for Radio 1 because I'm not getting any love there. And, and they still didn't play it. But it went against everything that she stood for. Um, but she did it because she thought, well, this is the last roll of the dice. And and that's also fine. I mean, look, that's fine. No problem with that. But my point was, if you just you stick to what you believe in musically and creatively, you'll find a way. If you're good enough, of course, not everybody does. Been acts I've taken on and really believed in that haven't worked, of course, because no one has 100% strike rate. You win some, you lose some. But all I will say is that every act that I've represented, I've worked really hard for because I've totally believed in it. Because no one has 100% strike rate. You win some, you lose some. The acts are fed in different ways. They can be through uh, various people I know in the industry, publishers or lawyers or label, management, whatever it may be. It could be scouts around the country who've seen it, promoters. So it, it feeds through from different different places. So you... You obviously don't you don't hear every act. It's all about building up a network over the years of people that you know and trust and you get recommendations and then you make the decision if you if you feel this is an act you want to work with or you see an act developing well and you'll just see if you can be involved. It, it's a it's a mixture of things. I think what acts can do what I look for. I mean, it's look, it's 
gut reaction. It's great music, something that I feel passionately about. And also knowing that that act is going to literally 24-7 work as hard as humanly possible to to make it work for themselves. And a lot of managers say the same, that if the artist isn't putting their side in while the management's running around working every avenue to make this a success, you need you need the artist to be very hard working at the same time. And it takes it takes a lot of work. I mean, the live shows are great, don't get me wrong, and they most of them enjoy that part of it more than anything, but there's a lot of promo, a lot of media, radio, TV, socials. It's, you know, it's a constant it's a constant effort to keep people engaged, especially these days with the way the, the socials are. What are the characteristics of a good live agent? I think someone who understands understands the business one, but understands that this is a this is a team effort. You're working with artists, management, label, every country in the world. It's I think you have to be strategic. You have to look at all opportunities that are available to the artists and how you can maximize those opportunities. But first and foremost, you've just got to have a strategic approach to how you see their career developing and and try and be as consistent with that as it develops through the years. And, and always continue to be very engaged with the artist and management to make sure you know that they're not taking it for granted that, hey, it's doing well now, so this is easy. We're on the home run, so to speak. Because I always have a belief that however well you're doing, you could do better. And there's always a challenge. We're all learning as agents. And you, you have to be humble as well. You know, we're there. We're providing a service. But am I the, am I the star here? Absolutely not. I'm booking the gigs. I'm trying to help all other elements of their career as much as I can. I don't really have an ego that goes with this. Other people, some other people within the industry do. And that's fine, of course, but I'm very lucky doing the job. I enjoy it, but that's what it is. It's a job that I'm doing for all these clients and I have to do it to the best of my capability. Um, And I never lose sight of that, even if it's like 20 people in the dog and duck or whether it's headlining Reading and Leeds, whatever it may be. They're different different problems to have, and and it's also different elements of fun to be had because there's nothing better than even now here in the first radio play of an artist that you've worked with for a year, or when they sell out their first gig and it's you know 200 people. It's great because they're off, they've started, they're on the first part of their career has begun. Do, do you you go to a lot of gigs? Yeah, I do. I do go to a lot of gigs and. You know, I enjoy it. Do you ha- look at them through a critical professional eye, or particularly when it's your artists involved, or can you relax and get into it? No, you can relax and get into it. Yeah, and you, there is a there, there's always a critical eye. You always look at it thinking, ah, oh, maybe that could have been better, whatever. Because, funnily enough, a lot of artists do actually say, "What do you think of that? Did that cover work?" You know, I have offered my opinion to certain artists before of. If they've done something a different way, if they actually ask, they know I'm going to honestly answer. So some will, some won't. But a lot actually say, do you think that worked, honestly? And I'll say, nah, maybe it didn't. Maybe the other way was uh, better in my opinion, but it's your opinion that counts. And sometimes they'll change things and then come back and go, did you like that better? And I'll go, great, but I'm not, I'm not there. I'll give my opinion if asked. Um, and we'll speak, to, but with the artist, I would never go in and um, insult them with a comment on a, on a show, um, because who am I to do that? When an artist is getting reached that stage where maybe there's 
interest in, in them, maybe there's more than one agent looking to, to sign them. What, what, what kind of questions should they be asking to, to work out which, which is the agent that's right for them? Well, I think, I think it's a lot of things I've, I've said before. It's like, well, I mean, a lot do come in and say, okay, what, are you gonna, what can you do for me or whatever, <laughs> which is fine. And some agents will give sound bites of, I'll get you on tour with this, this person, this person, whatever. And some artists love that. They listen. And, but I usually try and go a different way of saying, look, all the supports and the festivals, et cetera, they'll all, they'll all come together. At the right time, they'll come together. We don't need to say who you're going to support today or tomorrow. It's a case of, you know, luckily at CA, we have a you know a very strong roster. We've got a great team of agents. We communicate on a daily basis. We know what's going on and we know who's who's touring. And we have quite a lot of power within, within some of that decision-making. Although I say with a lot of supports, the artists do make the decision who supports them. But the main thing I try and make clear is that I will work incredibly hard for you. We will we will have a strategic approach to this. We will make sure that this develops at the right at the right time, at the right places, to play the right shows. We'll reference certain shows we could could play, certain people we could play with. And it's just outlining what we feel we can we can achieve for the band in terms of not only the live side but on all the uh, other elements pertaining to live as I mentioned before it's a it's a bigger picture thing it's like if you're with us we will fight for you all the way in every every facet of the industry but they can see the passion and enthusiasm is is important and I'll always be transparent that you know through throughout everything I'm there to work for them and I will outline a plan that will work and, you know, we'll work as a team on it. And it's, you can see it in, in people's eyes if they mean it or not. I mean, there are some cases where some agents will take something on and hand it immediately to someone else within the office. And whereas, you know, we have teams on a lot of, a lot of artists, but I want to be involved in every part of the process and be visible in every part of the process. And, you know, open to a call and many artists call, for advice or to chat things through at any times of the day. I think probably because they know, I'll be honest, I won't, I'm not there to blow smoke up everyone's arse. You know, your, your experience of interacting with successful musicians, have you, have you spotted any behaviours, any good habits or attitudes that you've admired um, and think would be useful to up-and-coming musicians who could maybe learn and benefit from them? Yeah, I mean, look, I've said a few of these before, but all of the usual, you know, passion, enthusiasm, drive to succeed, confidence with a touch of arrogance, not too much, but a touch, which means you can take you can take some negativity and you can just about get through it because you think I'm okay, you know. And to be able to work hard, you can see it in people's eyes, which ones really want this. And then you prove that by going out and you know, you work the socials hard, which I didn't say, you know, before, you know, whether it's your Instagram or Twitter, whatever it may be, you're working hard on all the times that you're not on the road. You get up for those interviews at five o'clock because you have to. You you jump on a plane at a minute's notice because you have to. And it's, you've got to put in the work. And if the music is there, everything else will fall into place. Uh, but if one piece of the jigsaw puzzle is missing, it will never complete itself. It's uh, you, you, you've 
got to, and that that goes for everyone within that goes for myself as well absolutely and it goes for everyone within the team you have certain teams you know everybody's driving at the same pace and they they all can see the end goal and then when they get to that that particular goal they want to go to the next one and the next one and it's um and you can't rest on your laurels you've got to you've got to work out what's your you know what's your first goal but once you get there you go to the next one and the next one because you know we're all learning in this business and i wouldn't expect a new band to why would they know the business it's quite simple the business you know it's but it's it's not something that they've ever experienced before and they're meeting people that they don't they don't know really what an agent does or what a manager does or what have you they put a lot of trust in people but the point is from their side if they're willing to work hard and they have they have that look that they want this more than anything it helps you decide as well because you know these people they might not get there in a year or two years but with the right songs and the right attitude they've got a real shot of getting there in you know three years absolutely fantastic thank you very much for taking the time to talk to me and uh, well I've, I've learned a lot of stuff today talking to you um, and i hope this is useful to people listening uh, so thank you very much paul it's a pleasure and um yeah thanks for thanks for having me on <laughs> Thank you to all of my guests who have taken the time to talk with me and thank you for listening. I'd also like to thank Miles D who has written and recorded the Gigami theme music. And as ever, if you have been affected by any of the issues raised in this episode, if you have any questions or if you just want to get in touch with me, go to gigami.co. That is G-I-G-O-M-I dot C-O. Thanks again for listening. See you next time.